1: Okay, welcome back, everybody. It's been all five minutes since we taped last week's, but...
0: (laughs) We're just a little behind, and this is COVID-16.
1: Or 36.
0: 36. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I was only 20 Anyway,
1: so we'll be up to date now. So COVID-36, and hopefully this weekend we'll actually get you some journal articles that are a little bit more up to date, because, man, they are still changing. And I think we're going to get to Dr. Shacker and that, but wow.
0: Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff that he talked about. First, uh, Jerrica Burge was on... And uh, I actually said her name correctly today on mm-hmm. the Echo. So that was great. She talked about a little study that was actually led by the fourth year medical students. And we're just so happy to see that they get to do something because they were sidelined uh, during the start of COVID. And also they worked with the faculty collaborating with Minnesota Department of Health and Public Health for a contact tracing and, and really looked like looking at the mixed methods for doing that. And so really an interesting little study she's got going. Uh, They're talking about coming back uh, uh, in the next weeks with uh, some of the results of some of the different studies they've talked about. But she wanted to highlight that one that's going on at the university.
1: There you go. So also from the University of Minnesota, Dr. Tim Shacker, who has now been on a couple of different times. He was first on way back May 26th, then June 23rd.
0: I think he likes us because he's I, come back now for a third time. I know,
1: right? Well, oh, he of charm, at least but... likes me. Oh. So. Did you have a few drinks this
0: morning?
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I had to use it. we have never going to use that one. Anyway, he is like the head virology dude at the U. Um, wow, the dude knows. I keep saying dude. He knows a lot. Yeah. I kind of like some of this history stuff. I know we don't like to barrage the history too much, but I think it was super interesting. He started talking about the, about the 1918 influenza pandemic, of course. And how this actually started in Kansas, which was very interesting. Well, it could, the travel,
0: it could travel faster because it's flat there. It's just, a <laughs> it's just
1: Typically, these pandemics like we saw here started on the coast and moved in because that's where people land. But how this was really pushed with military people in World War I. Um, Minnesota was dealing with major fires at the time. So it's this double thing, which kind of was reminiscent in my mind of the whole opioid epidemic meets COVID pandemic.
0: Yeah. Interestingly, anyway. at the time, Minnesota had a huge fire that year that caused a lot of damage. And then, of course, we were in World War One, And then... Oh, okay. I, I mean, if for Minnesota... Literally, I just said that. No, you didn't talk about Minnesota and the fire. So Minnesota had all these things going. I
1: just said the fire. Anyway.
0: Well, I didn't hear you say the fire.
1: Ironically, though, like if we're talking about this pandemic, there was mask controversy Even back then, like there was a thing that actually said an anti-mask meeting tonight at Dreamland Rink. Kind of funny because I used to go to roller rinks, but not 1918.
0: And Um, I wonder why there were 50 million deaths in the world when people were anti-mask.
1: Right. But you know what this thought about when he he said this is not new news, this whole mask thing. This is old news. And so it kind of reminded me of... You know, like mom jeans are apparently coming back, fanny packs are coming back, all these things that were like so updated now come back. So like the whole anti-mask thing is now coming back. Just like every weird fashion trend. Oh,
0: come come back to the whole fanny pack. Tell me that's not true.
1: Oh, it is, I heard. Okay. So I'm not doing it.
0: Minnesota's been working hard to get as many tests done as possible. And actually he talked a little bit about last Friday being this milestone. Twenty-five thousand tests in Minnesota in just one day. So a pretty good deal. Um, Um, I'm
1: going to go back to some of the epidemiology, though, before the testing. Um, Just to point out that the U.S. currently has 22 percent of all the world cases of COVID, 21 percent of all the world deaths in the U.S. Minnesota is right around one percent of all the cases in the U.S.
0: So we're low. Um,
1: But there's other states like Montana that have like no population. So I don't know how to. I don't know how to look at that percentage compared to the U.S., but either way,
0: yeah, it would there's been on what the population 1,979
1: deaths in Minnesota, which is a lot.
0: It is, and we're still seeing our numbers climb.
1: Anyway, so back to the milestone. Yeah,
0: and back in May, we were only testing seventy to excuse me, seven hundred to a thousand people a day. So we've really ramped that up twenty five times. We're doing more than that.
1: But, and this has been something you see on the news or in, you know, social media is that the reason we're having so many positives now is because we're testing more people. He did state that no, it's not really because of that. It's not just the testing that's been increasing it. He's like viruses are doing what viruses do and they transmit um and the fact that they're going up, it's driven by a totally different population. You know, at the beginning we had that big spike Big spike in Minnesota in May-ish. That was all the nursing home people. Yeah. Now we're having the 20 to 30-year-olds.
0: Yeah, the biggest group right yeah. now.
1: And those are mostly asymptomatic, subclinical. They're much more people who don't want to wear masks. They don't want to social distance. They're in colleges. Some of them are in schools. Yeah, and the beauty
0: of it is is that really the therapies that are available now, and, and so much has been learned, that people are doing better. The mortality is actually less uh, because they know how to treat them, uh, and especially in the specialized centers where they're doing a lot and they get on these people right away and uh, people do well. Right. You know, obviously, we're still getting quite a few deaths and we will with the numbers we're getting. But overall, mortality seems to be less.
1: You know, what's interesting is that he said, you know, back in January is when they first found out like what this virus looked like. But really, the clinical course has not really changed you know, from your first exposure to your first symptoms, roughly averaging three days to a hospitalization. Still, that eight and a half days to severe lung injury is nine and a half days. So it's still that's been the same timeline for a while that whole time. But and again, of all the people who get hospitalized, half of them do end up in the u the ICU. But the mortality in the ICU has gone down, like Kurt just mentioned, with the whole better treatment and all of that.
0: Yep going right to the therapies that have shown some benefit not perfect but some so he talked a little bit about how the infection spreads and of course that just was in the news with the cdc uh, all this whole aerosolizing it versus droplets and dr Shacker wanted to go on record as saying he believes it's maybe both and uh, are we going to know which one is the biggest uh, problem well probably not right away uh, but he talked about the infection really starting the upper airway, and again, uh, this can be combated by masking, social distancing, and that washing the hands, just like your grandma told you. And then, of course, you get that local replication, and uh, it causes that loss loss of smell it from from that local replication of the virus. But it, there's been this big thing is like, how does it move its way into the lower respiratory tract?
1: Right, and initially, and I remember. Whether it was him or somebody else back in May or April, March, and they're saying that, you know, it's this big syncytium, so like this little slimy It gross just thing. kind of
0: sneaks its way down there.
1: What they're thinking is a lot of it gets in the, the deep, the lower air with some type of an aspiration. So you like in, inhale, inhale a chunk of virus from your nose. I, gross.
0: So I'm going to be breathing very lightly for the rest of the year. Just kind of like... Just a little bit, no deep breaths, because that appears appears to be pulling it down in. Right.
1: So, neat, not that you all can see it. Um, he did show some, vis- you know, visuals of you know this pathological stuff. So, under the microscope, sections of lungs and how one area can just show this completely destroyed area of lung where literally it's all inflammation. There's no airspace. An inch away, you can have a relatively normal lung. An inch away.
0: Yeah. So how crazy very it is. focal.
1: Very focal and it just kind of, but yet it frequently is turning over. It is a high turning over virus, so it's just like spreading a lot.
0: Yeah, and you talked about how it's just a very aggressive necrotizing pneumonia. So this is causing a lot of damage to the lung tissue, and and really that's the problem. It's very focal and it's very necrotizing.
1: But then when it, it does get into the lungs, that's where that syncytia does come back because... It's just going so fast, and it just kind of forms this huge thing, yeah, um you know he talked a lot about just a lot of things we can't really show you um but you have these sheets of virus that's just being released, um you can't really compare it to people who didn't get as severe, like did they have just less virus that's replicating less fast because you can't really biopsy a live lung very well when they're already sick um,
0: yeah, so man. it's a tough question is that you know, we talked about it a little bit, the question was raised, well, is it the response that the patient's immune system has or is it the fact that people that don't get as sick don't have as much viral spread in their lung and or is it just the reaction that their viral spread is the same, the reaction is different? So uh, he, kind of an interesting discussion.
1: Yeah, then you move down to kind of the the clotting, the microthrombi and how that this microvascular, so these blood clots, within the lung, even, and how, you know, the whole anticoagulation is such a big deal. um, And that's,
0: yeah, and that's shown a definite mortality decrease by using that.
1: And, you know, and then you went back to this model of pathogenesis, which we're not going to get into too in depth. But, you know, at the beginning, you have that innate immune system. So what's ready to fight the second the virus hits you. But then by the time you're hitting the hospital, day eight or so, you're kind of into this inflammation thing. So your other cells are all kind of overreacting, if you will. Um, And this whole reason that this is important is because part of the treatment is aimed at what's going on at that time. And so one of the, to me, it sounded like what he was saying I inferred was just this whole remdesivir is super important right away because it helps slow viral replication regardless of where you were at, but obviously the earlier the better. But then if you were talking early, so before that whole hospitalization thing or early hospitalization, you're going to want to use something like tocilizumab, which is the IL-6 because that tends to be higher early on.
0: And I thought the beauty of that IL-6 is that he talked about doing that right when people come in the hospital and how well it predicts respiratory failure. Okay. Uh, I didn't and didn't so so even mention
1: like doing it even at diagnosis as an outpatient. Yeah.
0: yeah. So it can help kind of. Predict whether this is a person that's going to do poorly.
1: Well, right. Because I mean, if they're not in some cases getting admitted till day eight or nine, now they're already in the inflammation phase. So you've already passed the tocilizumab yep. benefit. So yeah, starting it even before hospitalization and, res- and desivere even before hospitalization um, made I mean, a
0: difference. Yeah.
1: And then once you're getting delayed, is where you're going to want to throw in the tumor necrosis factor inhibition, because that's what's bringing in all the late inflammation, which is causing that whole cytokine storm and extra inflammation later on.
0: Yeah, I talked about some of the trials going on, one of them with Losartan that's actually being done right here in Minnesota. And of course, that whole issue is, you know, does it block the ACE receptor? Does it make a difference? And this is something that's being done at Hennepin Mayo and the U of M. And And I think the point is like,
1: do you start a person versus, you know, we've obviously gotten to the point that if you're on it, you leave them on it. But should you start a person?
0: Yeah. So that one is going. He talked a little bit about metformin and the things that are being do- done with that. It's interesting that I didn't know this in some of the stuff that we've read back in the 1950s. They actually thought metformin could be an antiviral. Uh, nobody really knows how that works. Uh, but he talked about some of the stuff that we talked about on our, on our review of the literature on metformin and how... Uh, it's interesting how it seems to help women when they're on it and they get wow. sick. Wow! Yeah, and, and son of a gun, if you're a guy and you're on it, you get nothing for right. it. So,
1: But looked at it as a tumor necrosis factor, the TNF inhibitor, as metformin. I don't know. Yeah. Inhibit that cytokine storm. and so, women.
0: Yeah, there's a big study uh, going on with that as well.
1: So, yes. Yeah, so if you, you are on metformin, there are, yeah, again, studies. Um, Then I thought this was super cool. There is this whole big thing they're doing on artificial intelligence. And basically they've done all these chest X-rays on over 18,000 COVID patients, basically making the X-ray as sensitive as the PCR to diagnose COVID. So there's all these protocols and these algorithms that you take an X-ray and the X-ray can tell you whether this person has COVID. Um, Of course, currently it's at the University of Minnesota. It's not everywhere else yet. Um they're starting to try to spread it at least around the twin cities.
0: They say it's going to be embedded in Epic is what he was talking about. How cool about. is that? Yeah, I'm looking for it tomorrow.
1: So yeah. Um, then we're looking at some of these other things. This answer, oh, the anticoagulation um, really did show decreased mortality. That's kind of a known thing at this point. You forgot it's, to talk
0: about the cell based immunotherapy for treatment, the natural killer cells.
1: Yeah, well, you skipped that when you went to the Medformin.
0: No, I didn't. But here's the deal natural killer cell infusions. Oh, did. That's what I want when I get COVID. Now, to be clear, we read an article last week or two. Camels, it's
1: right here. Yeah,
0: there it is. And there was actually, they're harvesting these and doing some studies on the natural killer cells out of camels. So if you happen to have a camel... uh, The nanobodies. Yeah, they got nanobodies. And so if you happen to have a camel in your zoo, let's start yanking some of these natural killer cells out of it. Uh, But they just talked about how, you know, they were using these and then these... Uh, Stem cells, actually, for the treatment of COVID-19.
1: That they actually shoot right down the airway. Yeah,
0: they just aerosolize them down.
1: And thyroid stuff. Yeah. Don't don't do that at home, folks.
0: Yeah, they're talking about using uh, thyroid down the airway. So T3.
1: All right. Um, So again, back to the anticoagulation. Decreased mortality 15% in people who are anticoagulated. I love what he said at this point. It has nothing specifically to do about the anticoagulation, but he said... You know, this disease, you just adjust the standard of care on the fly.
0: <gasps> wow.
1: Anyway, so to treatment, wastewater, go for oh, it. We're you know. hoping to get these dudes on our Echo. Yeah,
0: we want to get them on their Echo. There, You know, there's been a lot of studies done in big cities on sewer systems, and actually, especially looking at, uh, from our standpoint, as addiction physicians they can actually check the sewers in New York City and tell how many people are on antidepressants, how many people are using, um, you know, using heroin. But now they want to do it to kind of look at what's the RNA uh, from COVID in the sewer system and does that somehow correlate or give you some idea as to whether COVID is really on the way?
1: So, yeah, what they're doing is they're... The original researchers out of Duluth, and these are the people we're trying to get, um, looked at different sites around Minnesota, starting in May. No one really knows what how to measure or what it actually means. But when they took out big, big cities, that was a little bit kind of made it choppy, messy data, if you will. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> I yeah, just love that.
1: So they looked in cities that are fewer than 100,000 people in Minnesota. And the really coolest thing about the data out of this, and I can't wait to hear the guys talk about this, um, is that... You could see the levels in the wastewater plants that showed changes two weeks before the actual change appeared. So, like, people were starting to have that viral replication that was showing up in the wastewater even before all the spikes hit, which corresponded with lifting the stay-at-home order, phase two opening the bars, restaurants, gyms, and then when the mask order came in, how there was this little lull again. So it's yeah. almost a way of looking at looking at wastewater as early warning signs. Yep. Systems, excuse me.
0: Interesting. So I don't know that he's had much else. We talked a little bit about antigen testing, and uh, they're, you know, I talked how they're a little bit less sensitive. And uh, and actually, if they have a negative test, uh, we had to correct this. Uh, there was a little confusion. But if you have a negative test, uh, you probably should be PCR confirmed. Um, you know, we've had some antigen testing in the area, and the question is really what to do with that. Right. Um, because we're really not familiar with it. He said it's like uh, building a plane while you're flying it, so they're running the test, but it's like you're figuring out what it means as you go. So <laughs> I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure that's a great thing. But
1: and then he kind of ended with the whole um, vaccine and how there's two different vaccines that are kind of right at the the forefront, and how both of them look like they'll probably be a two shot series. That they're looking like they're eliciting a very strong nucle- neutralizing antibody. The cool thing is, is these two vaccines, the number one researcher on both papers were females. Not that I noticed. Um, But then he kind of went back to that whole people who are anti-everything and how in order to really have a good herd immunity on COVID, they're thinking 70 to 80 percent of people need to be immune. But yet right now, only 50 percent of Americans would agree to even get a COVID vaccine. So, um, yeah, that's how we're going to get out of COVID is people get vaccinated. But if people don't want to be vaccinated, I guess we have a lot of job security.
0: I'll be right. First in line, give me the shot. I don't <laughs> you even like shots. My job. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's anyway, it. We'll let Battlelegs take over. We will be back
1: next week with Chris Hagen doing a medication
0: and we have a vaccine lot of,
1: update, and then we have a lot of people coming down the pipeline, including the Dr. Mike Osterholm. Again. Yeah,
0: he's going to be coming back in five or six weeks, so uh, we we're pretty excited to get him. We got a lot of other uh, people. Our uh, John Cole, who is an ER doctor from hennepin who actually got covid he's coming back on
1: and then we will have another ob update we had one from the west coast before now that obviously minnesota has been hit more we'll have a local provider hopefully we just have a lot of things coming on the pipeline so stay tuned for that
0: yep so battle legs please take over and thanks everyone for listening
1: To ruin or your
0: old disgrace the black Fitzwilliam's from your place he sent you to the fern grace and victory was sure. in the fire and he'd secure until he met at glenn with him the will burn curse is well or kill there will do what him will dare now Fitzwilliam, william have a care calling is your carlo but with albert i was lord and we'll go for by the lord if the was given the word follow me up to carlo
1: Cigar. To Clonmore, the goes of boom of Saxon gore. All oh, great is Rory, oh, go more, it's loose to Hades. White is sick and gray is sled. And now for black Fitzwilliam's head, we'll send it over, driven red to Liza and her lady. Curses well, look, as
0: We'll do what will dare. Now, Fitzwilliam, have a care. Father is your star, oh. up to Carlo. A with power, up with sword. On we'll go for by the Lord. Give with you, is given the word. Follow me up to Carlo. Amen. The flash all over the English pale See all the children of the gale Beneath O'Byrne's banners Roosters of the fighting stock Would you let a Saxon cock crow out upon an Irish rock Fly up, we'll teach him manners
1: Curse is where Lord Kildare yuck
0: will do, if yuck will dare Now Fitzwilliam, have a care Follow me up to your Out with Albert, out with swords On will go for by the Lord Yet the Q has given the word Follow me up to Carlo Curse is where Lord Kildare If yuck will do, if yuck will dare Now Fitzwilliam, have a care Farnese and I out with with we go, for the Lord. Yet was given the word. Follow up to follow.